Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's voice and live life through the lens of Scripture. The Bible in a Year podcast is brought to you by Ascension. Using the Great Adventure Bible timeline, we'll read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, discovering how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. It is day 139. We are reading from 2 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Chronicles chapter 26. We're praying Psalm 40. As always, the translation of the Bible that I'm reading from is the Revised Standard Version, the Second Catholic Edition. And I'm using the Great Adventure Bible from Ascension. If you want to download your own Bible in a Year reading plan, you can visit ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a Year. And if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, just click over to subscribe and subscribe. That would be phenomenal and amazing. And you would be phenomenal and amazing. If you don't, you're probably still phenomenal and amazing. As I said, today's day 139. We're reading 2 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Chronicles 26, and we are praying Psalm 40. The second book of Samuel, chapter 21, David avenges the Gibeonites. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites. Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but the remnants of the Amorites, although the sons of Israel had sworn to spare them. Saul had sought to slay them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and how shall I make expiation, that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us, that we may hang them up before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord, which was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholathite. And he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord. And the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens, and she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. When David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh-Gilead who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day when the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. And he brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan. And they gathered the bones of those who were hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin in Zelah, in the tomb of Kish his father. And they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded supplications for the land. Wars with the Philistines The Philistines had war again with Israel. And David went down together with his servants. And they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men adjured him, 
you shall no more go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jaare Origim, the Bethlehemite, slew Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, slew him. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. The First Book of Chronicles, Chapter 26 The Divisions of the Gatekeepers As for the divisions of the gatekeepers of the Korahites, Meshelamiah, the son of Korah, of the sons of Asaph. And Meshelamiah had sons, Zechariah the firstborn, Jediael the second, Zebediah the third, Jathniel the fourth, Elam the fifth, Jehohanan the sixth, Elihoenai the seventh, and Obed-Edom had sons, Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nathanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Peulathai the eighth, for God blessed him. Also to his son Shemaiah were sons born who were rulers in their father's houses, for they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah, Othni, Raphael, Obed, Elzabad, whose brethren were able men, Elihu and Semachiah. All these were of the sons of Obed-Edom with their sons and brethren, able men qualified for the service. Sixty-two of Obed-Edom. And Meshelamiah had sons and brethren, able men, eighteen. And Hosa of the sons of Merari had sons, Shimri the chief, for though he was not the firstborn, his father made him chief, Hilkiah the second, Tebaliah the third, Zechariah the fourth, all the sons and brethren of Hosa were thirteen. These divisions of the gatekeepers corresponding to their chief men had duties just as their brethren did, ministering in the house of the Lord. And they cast lots by fathers' houses, small and great alike, for the gates. The lot for the east fell to Shelemiah. They cast lots also for his son Zechariah, a shrewd counselor, and his lot came out for the north. Obed-Edom's came out for the south, and to his sons was allotted the storehouse. For Shupim and Hosah it came out for the west, at the gate of Sheleketh, on the road that goes up. Watch corresponded to watch. On the east there were six each day on the north, four each day, on the south, four each day, as well as two and two at the storehouse. And for the parbar on the west, there were four at the road and two at the parbar. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the Korahites and the sons of Merari, the treasurers, officers, and judges. And of the Levites, Ahijah had charge of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries of the dedicated gifts. The sons of Ladan, the sons of the Gershonites belonging to Ladan, the heads of the fathers' houses belonging to Ladan the Gershonite, Jehalai. The sons of Jehalai, Zetham, and Joel his brother, were in charge of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Of the Amramites, the Izharites, and the Hebronites, and the Uzielites, and Shebuel, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, was chief officer in charge of the treasuries. His brethren from Eleazar were his son Rehabiah, and his son Jeshiah, and his son Joram, and his son Zikri, and his son, Shelamoth. 
This Shalamoth and his brethren were in charge of all the treasuries of the dedicated gifts which David the king and the heads of the father's houses and the officers of the thousands and the hundreds and the commanders of the army had dedicated. From spoil won in battles, they dedicated gifts for the maintenance of the house of the Lord. Also all that Samuel the seer and Saul the son of Kish and Abner the son of Ner and Joab the son of Zeruiah had dedicated, all dedicated gifts were in the care of Shalamoth and his brethren. Of the Isharites, Jenaniah and his sons were appointed to outside duties for Israel as officers and judges. Of the Hebronites, Hashabiah and his brethren, 1,700 men of ability had the oversight of Israel westward of the Jordan for all the work of the Lord and for the service of the king. Of the Hebronites, Jerijah was chief of the Hebronites of whatever genealogy or father's house. In the fortieth year of David's reign, search was made, and men of great ability among them were found at Jazer in Gilead. King David appointed him and his brethren, two thousand seven hundred men of ability, heads of fathers' houses, to have the oversight of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manassites for everything pertaining to God and for the affairs of the king. Psalm chapter 40, Thanksgiving for Deliverance and Prayer for Help to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the roll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your mercy and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not, O Lord. Withhold your compassion from me. Let your mercy and your faithfulness ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me till I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let them be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Father in heaven, we thank you and give you praise. And it is true that sacrifice and offering you do not desire. You've given an open ear, an open heart. What you desire is obedience. What you desire is for us to have a heart like yours. What you desire is mercy, not sacrifice, obedience, 
not sacrifice in so many ways, um, that when we do offer you sacrifice, it is only out of obedience. It is always as simply a gift to you and done in response to your invitation. Lord God, we ask that you please always, always make us obedient to you. Help us to always say yes to you and to never, ever stop saying yes. Then even, even in the moments of disaster, even moments where we have said no to you, even moments of great sin in our lives, help us in that moment to take the very next good step and that next good step being to simply say yes once again. Help us to say yes to you and to never stop saying yes. In Jesus' name we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Well, gosh, we have, um, let's just start with in reverse order once again. First Chronicles chapter 26. We have basically what they are called the divisions of gatekeepers. And we think, like, what are the gatekeepers? Well, they're going to play a very big role later on in Second Chronicles where as people are coming to the temple, as people are coming to Jerusalem, they need to have strong men. They say here in our translation, able men, uh, basically, who might be able to be bouncers. <laughs> so we just got a list in First Chronicles chapter 26 of a number of the bouncers who would come to the city of Jerusalem and would come to the temple in the city in Jerusalem. And basically, if there's any ruffians or unwelcomed people or objects trying to get into the temple area, then they would stop them. And so it's it's kind of, it's very practical. It's very practical. But once again, it's not small. In fact, they are going to be prominent. These people, this, these groups of families are going to be very necessary at the end of Second Chronicles. It's going to happen multiple times when under the high priest Jehoiada and Hezekiah and Josiah, the, those kings, that they're going to need to have some of these, these gatekeepers, these strong people who are able to be doorkeepers. Now, at the same time, we also realize, again, this is not a, a small thing. Um, in Psalm 84, it talks about, I would rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather even just live as the doorkeeper. That's my only job. My only job is to be the one who is guarding the door to the temple of the Lord, to the house of God, than live anywhere, than live anywhere else. And that's something so so remarkable that God would give such honor to these strong men, to these people who are able to simply guard the doors. You know, we have in the history of the church, we have so many saints who that that was their call, their, their kind of primary occupation as, as monks or as, you know, brothers in a monastery that their job was to basically be the porter. And the porter is the person who welcomes people at the front door. And we even have a, a man from our local area. He lived in Superior, Wisconsin for a while. So I'm in Northern Minnesota, lived in Superior, Wisconsin for a while, then went down to Stillwater, Minnesota. And his name is Blessed Solanus Casey. And at one point, Blessed Solanus Casey became a religious, you right, a, a monk or a brother. And one of his main jobs was to simply answer the door. And there's something about that role that, again, numerous saints have had this, as well as the people in First Chronicles chapter 26. And that, that role, though, when it's done faithfully, just like any job done faithfully, that job that, of, that could be menial in so many ways is possibly sanctifying because everything we do when we do it for the Lord, it's sanctifying, whether that's answering the door, whether that's picking up a screwdriver, whether that's delivering the milk or picking up the garbage or teaching a class or whatever it is that we're doing, whatever we do, if we do it for the Lord, it's always sanctifying. It's always, again, going back to Psalm 40, that obedience being the greatest gift we can give to the Lord, that yes to the Lord. And so here's the families of gatekeepers that we go through this whole list today. Also, there were other Levitical servants to the temple, right? So they also have the Levites. Remember, these other families who are keeping guard of the doors weren't Levites. They were from other tribes. But in this verse, chapter 26, we also had some of the Levites who were doing what? They were overseeing the treasuries of the house of God. And so what they 
did was they noted that over the course of the history of Israel, whenever Israel defeated people in battle, they would bring a lot of these uh, goods, you know, gold, silver, etc., and bring them to the temple to be used ultimately in the house of the Lord. And so those overseers were from the tribe of Levi. Okay, so that's First Chronicles chapter 26. I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's pretty important to be able to to do that. We also have 2 Samuel chapter 21. And at the beginning of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 21, we have this strange thing where the rain didn't fall. There's a famine for three years, year after year. And finally, David inquired of the Lord. And I think this is an important little note is that here is as a physical phenomenon. And it wasn't as if immediately here's a physical phenomena and David thinks there's a spiritual cause, which is kind of normal. That's very natural for a lot of us. We don't seek a spiritual cause for every single physical phenomena. But after a while, David did inquire of the Lord and the Lord answered that actually at some point, Saul in his bloodthirsty house killed the Gibeonites. Now, this is not written in 1 Samuel. This is not recorded in the Bible, but it must have been the case. And the reality is, remember that the Gibeonites were not members of the tribe of Israel. They're not members of the people of Israel, I mean. But they were the ones who had, in Joshua chapter 9, Israel swore not to harm the Gibeonites. This is like 400 years before this moment in David's reign. But 400 years before David, Israel had sworn not to harm the Gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9. And God expects Israel to keep its promise, even though the Gibeonites had entered into that agreement, entered into that promise through trickery, if you remember that back in the day. Now, what did the king do? He says, okay, he calls the Gibeonites. And basically, this is so wise of him. He says, yeah, we realize this has happened. I realize this has happened. What do you want me to do for you? He doesn't just say, here's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, Saul had killed all these people of yours. So I offer you this. He asked them. So here's the king approaching them, not as the king, but as someone who wants to serve. And this is just a great moment where, once again, King David, with all his flaws, does highlight and express that he is, in many ways, the foreshadowing of Jesus. The Jesus who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So David goes to the Gibeonites and says, how can I serve you? And they basically, you know, they say silver or gold from Saul or from his house. That's not going to help anything. And you don't need to kill any man in Israel for us. That's not going to help anything. That's not going to bring anyone back. But they do ask for seven members of Saul's descendants, so seven members of Saul's family be delivered to them and they'll execute them. And so that's what happens. Again, we look at that and think that's uh, that's, that's strange, it's, it's, but, but there's an element of justice to this and also an element of restraint to this. Now, it's not just in the sense that these are Saul's descendants, they're not Saul, but one of the things we remembered yesterday, that how others suffer because of our sins. And here's another example where how others are suffering because of Saul's sins. Last little note, um, it says that David is entering more and more into battle, or it just it talks about the defeat of the Philistines at the last part of 2 Samuel chapter 21. And in the midst of this, not only are there a number of giants that David's mighty men are facing, but it also talks about how David is growing weary in battle, that David's getting old. And there's something so powerful about David still willing to go into battle. Remember, remember, but way back in, in 1 Samuel, we have David avoiding the battle. I'm sorry, in 2 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, David avoiding battle. He was avoiding doing what he was called to do. But now, even in his old age, David is going into battle because that's what he ought to be doing. So once again, David can repent, right? David can learn his lesson and can go back out into battle. But here is another case where human weakness just is on display. And David is not the man he used to be. 
He used to be a mighty man, right? He used to be a mighty warrior from his youth. I mean, to realize this. And he has to come face to face with the fact that he's not the man he was. He doesn't have the strength he had. He doesn't have the ability to fight that he had. He doesn't have the ability to sustain his fighting in battle that he once had. And that is something so powerful for all. So of so many of us, as we continue to grow, as we continue to move forward, I remember when I was a young priest, people would say, because I, you know, start the day early, end the day really late. And they'd say, you know, you won't be able to do that forever. You're going to get old one day and you're not going to be able to only operate on X number of hours of sleep. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, I know that day is going to come, but it's not today yet. And now that day's come <laughs> and I realize, okay, Lord, that's, that's part of it. Some of the strength of my youth has, is gone. And some of the battles that Maybe you had called me to fight as a younger person. I, I'm not as able to do as an older person. And there's something about, there's something humbling, but also something humble, right? There's something humbling about that truth, but also an opportunity for humility in ourselves to say, that is the truth. I'm going to do what I can do because I can't do what I can't do. And David is a great example here where his men say, David, please don't lead us into battle. You can, you can direct us from behind safety, from out of place of safety, but that humbling note of you're not the man you used to be. And that humility of being able to say, you're right. I will only do what I can do because I can't do what I can't do. And that's, that's all of us at every single day. We can only do what we can do. And I can't do what I can't do. And that's all God expects of us because with him, we can do all things. But without him, as we heard way back when in the gospel of John, without him, we can do nothing. So keep praying for each other. And because we need, we need that grace. We need that help. And we need that humility to truly know what can I do, Lord? And I'll do that. What can't I do? And I'm not going to be bothered by that. I'll humbly say, Lord, thy will be done. Obedience over sacrifice. I am praying for you. Please pray for me. Let's pray for each other. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.